Appreciate you tuning in this week. Make sure you t- check out last week's episode, You're in Control, featuring Kia. It was a very dope and very informational episode, so I encourage everybody to please check that out. But this week, we're going to switch some tunes up a little bit. Going to get back to one of my favorite topics, and that is politics. So without further ado, we're going to get into it. And as usual, make sure you stay tuned, stay hip, stay connected. All right, so Politics. Is an obviously a everyday conversation in our country with so much going on with the past impeachment trial to now, of course, the Democratic you know primaries season is finally you know heating up and everything, and there's a lot going on and to a lot to digest. So let's look at the most recent events. Uh, Donald Trump got um, acquitted in the Senate in his uh, impeachment trial, which is kind of expected uh, for a lot of people. Um, so it kind of, at least for now, has put an end to all the years and years building of this whole impeachment talk and everything. Um, and in my opinion, I feel like the Democrats fumbled the bag with this one. I feel like they rushed this process. I feel like they waited too long to start this. And because of that, and because of the missteps, they this result happened. And again, I'm an independent moderate, so look, I always see things from both sides of the coin. Um, I never th- ever thought that Trump would ever be impeached and removed from office. And going back to we once he got sworn in as president, I just never thought it was going to happen. Again, just because of the historical context, again the fact that you know he actually got impeached in the House, the only third president ever in all time history. So it's a very you know a rare occurrence for something like that to happen. And again, it was always pretty apparent to me how this was going to go down based on the House vote, where all Democrats voted for. Impeachment, all Republicans voted for or against impeachment, right? So it, it was a party vote. And even going into the impeachment trials, it was kind of like one of these things where to a degree for a show, because it's like regardless of the information and evidence that's presented and arguments that happened, the Democrats were always going to vote for a remove from office, right? And like regardless of what the evidence could have been, a smoking gun, like the Republicans were always going to vote for acquittal. Well, besides Mitch Rom- Mitt Romney, but again, Mitt Romney... We're going to talk about his opportunist as well. He's always been anti-Trump, never Trump. Um, same Mitt Romney as well, who was also just 
sucking up to Trump when he first got elected because he was trying to become Secretary of State. And then once he couldn't get that position, then he started turning to become anti-Trump and stuff. So, again, mid round to me, I know some people are really commending him and stuff like that and everything for, you know, voting for, you know, a, a rule from office as a Republican. Such courage. And... Be honest, it's a good PR move because now Mitt Romney, he's welcome all um, you know late night talk shows and stuff like that. He can go to any college and speak, he can go to any radio show, make any public appearances and stuff. Right? It's this whole you know, as long as you're anti-Trump nowadays, you know you're celebrated. You, know, you can be a racist, white supremacist, but if you're anti-Trump, good in our books. But you know that's just the world and culture we live in. Very interesting. So overall, with that, you know the votes um, again it was interesting for Democrats. I feel like they fumbled a the bag in terms of they couldn't get. Um, you know, witnesses to testify. They couldn't get the votes for that. And the reason why I say I fumbled a bag is because if the Democrats really wanted witnesses, they could have got witnesses. They could have gone through the court system in which these people had to be subpoenaed and worked their way up into this system to testify. But the thing about that, it takes time and months and months and months. And because the Democrats, which I feel like they're rushed, it's because they're doing this impeachment trial in an election year, they didn't have time. So they had to rush this and that's why I feel like if they had done this about a couple years ago, especially before the midterms, before those Republican senators were up for a re-election, and people, you know, they may have been a little more open to maybe, you know, talking about actually voting for removal from office, had there been less to lose at that time. But right now, in election year, of course no Republican is going to vote for, vote out the Republican president. It's party loyalty. Uh, I need to give a shout out if I guess if it was Cocaine Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Uh, he has a lot of power and clout and influence, and I think we need to really understand that. Mitch is the reason this all got swayed together. He made the rules, he negotiated it. He got the votes to not have witnesses testify. And that was very key because a lot of people thought that wouldn't happen. And when I say Democrats fumbled a bag, it's like to me it was always very surprising that they had like no contingency plan. For like not getting witnesses, because that was never that was never a slam dunk that it would actually like get enough votes to have witnesses testify in this trial, and like the fact that like as soon as like the vote came out that said they wouldn't get witnesses, like that was it, the trial was over after that. <laughs> it was a hearsay, so it was surprising to me, kind of shocking. I know I've been sizing up Adam Schiff and everything like that as this this patriot and this freedom fighter and all that. Yeah, okay, I guess, but in the day he got outsmarted, like that happened. This is a whole thing. Go back to the Mueller report. Everybody thought it was a smoking gun. Again, out with that, that didn't happen. And then here we are with here was the whole impeachment. I mean, when we went through all this stuff, when he got impeached in the house. Everybody, yeah, we got him out. I mean, gosh, it was never gonna happen. I mean, think about it. people made people made a, a petition to get Trump impeached the day he got won the election back in November, before he was even sworn in. So this has been something definitely boiling for a long time. Has Trump done things that probably? Or shady, probably unethical. Sure, absolutely. Um, borderline legal. Sure, probably. But sh- Trump is a fine line of playing the fine line. And regardless, I don't think anything happened, especially in Ukraine call. I don't think those things were impeachable offenses. I don't. In terms of removal of office, no. So that happened. But I want to say one thing, though. I know sometimes people will make it seem that, you know, Trump is this dictator and this totalitarian and everything. I think the fact that he actually got impeached 
like in the house, like the third time that's ever happened in his country history. I think the fact that he just actually got impeached. In regards, he got acquitted. He'll always go down as an impeached president. That's never going to go away, right? I think the fact that it happened still shows there's a checks and balance system in this country. It still shows there is democracy, right? It still shows that, for the most part, if you, regards, you know, no one is above the law of the land. Because that happened. He got impeached. That actually happened. And so I'm just thinking, like, in North Korea, you think Kim Jong-un going to get impeached? Like, I mean, you, you, you think, like, you know, Joseph Stalin was going to get impeached? You know what I'm saying? You think Vladimir Putin's out here about to get impeached? Like, that's not happening in these actual, like, communist dictator countries and stuff, right? It's not going down like that. Those people have so much power and clout, that's not even happening. So I'll just put in perspective sometimes where we make it seem like he's the next Hitler. You think Hitler was getting impeached? No. That, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, we got to step back and really look at this from a historical context and point of view that if he had um, this so much unlimited power, control, and influence, he would never have got to that point to actually get impeached in the House. So I think it does show that there is still control in our country. There still is a checks and balance system in place, right? I mean, that stuff is still going on here. So I think we need to put in perspective when we kind of get this fear-mongering aspect of like, oh my gosh, Trump is going to run the country away and have full power control. It's not the case at all. And I think the fact he got impeached is the biggest evidence showing of that. All right. So primary season is upon us. The Democratic primaries have started officially, starting with the Iowa caucus last week, in which honestly was just a disaster. Uh, if you don't know, there was uh, problems with reporting the results in the polls. Therefore, um, they're supposed to come out like 8 o'clock that night, and they weren't released fully until like, almost a couple of two days later, which is very uncommon uh, for Democratic Party as well, because basically they installed a new system in which how they record the votes and stuff and everything uh, that was different from the 2016 primaries. And because this was a whole technological like downfall and breakdown and everything, and so I think it was a very embarrassing just the fact that y you couldn't announce the, announce the winner. You had Mayor Pete coming out initially saying he won and stuff and everything, and then comes out seems that Bernie actually won the election. Um, but overall, in terms of results, though, I think it was very impressive for Mayor Pete. I give him that much to, you know, finish at least top two um, and finish very high, very polling there. So that was interesting. I thought Mary Pete um, definitely pulled ahead with some legitimacy in his candidacy with that. Um, for Joe Biden, I think it was very disappointing for him to finish a distant fourth, not get any delegates at all. Um, at least Elizabeth Warren finished third, kept around, got some delegates. Um, so, you know, that was very interesting um, in terms of um, Mary Pete's success and Joe Biden's downfall. Um, that was very surprising. But, you know, as we move forward and after the whole debacle and everything happened there, for Democratic Party, you got New Hampshire, in which, you know, we finally had results came out, and it appears that Bernie Sanders has won New Hampshire. Uh, impressive victory, Mary Pete, uh, finishing second, and a very good second as well. Gained both gained nine delegates. Um, but uh, Amy uh, Kobachek, Kobachal, uh finishing third. That was uh, very surprising. Um, I think a lot of people saw that one coming, or at least her rising up that much. For Elizabeth Warren finishing fourth, Joe Biden finishing fifth. For Warren and, for Warren and Joe Biden, I mean, it had to be disappointed um, in their results. I don't think they saw that coming. Both of them getting no delegates at all, especially for Elizabeth Warren, her being from that area and everything as well. Generally speaking, you think she'd done better than that. So that's interesting for her, Mayor Pete and Amy. Uh, Amy, you know, it's, I think both of them are kind of moderates, to be honest. 
and they kind of will appeal to that suburban affluent people that live in those areas. So I think that's why they did well. Bernie handled his business and everything. So, um, again, you know, look, the primary season doesn't really kick off till we go to the South. And that's where the bulk of this stuff comes into. So Super Tuesday coming up a couple weeks. You have primaries in Nevada and South Carolina. And what's going to be telling once we go to the South, well, I think it really is that this is where the black vote starts coming in. There's a large bunch of black people in the South. And all these candidates, like the top leaders, haven't don't really have an appeal amongst black people or black voters. Especially Mayor Pete and Amy. Like, they actually have some negative history with black people and everything as well. So, I think it's going to be very intriguing about how they how to do down there. Uh, and that's where I think Joe Biden can make up some ground, to be honest. Because black people seem to like Joe Biden for some reason. I don't know why, but he loves him Delaware Joe. Probably because, you know, Biden's VP, all that, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so he has a chance to make up ground in there. So does Elizabeth Warren as well. But... Those are going to be telling when we get to the South, because that's where it really picks up. And again, that's where you got to really talk to people. And that's why I think some people like Mary Pete and Klobuchar, I don't know how well they would do in those spaces. be interesting. And a person who has been kind of everywhere, but didn't really show up too much well in the New Hampshire primaries, that is Mr. Mini Mike Bloomberg. Mini Mike. Mr. Stop and Frisk himself. Now, Mike Bloomberg is a very interesting candidate. Um, he's kind of really gone to this presidency very late. Um, this whole Kansas City race, the Kansas City race, and he's made up a lot of ground, primarily due to the fact he's a billionaire, spent a lot of money. So, especially with all these TV commercials and everything, you see it everywhere, Mike Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, because he has the money to spend these commercials, okay? So he's get him, got himself back in relevancy. And he's rising up a lot of boards. And this thing is, Mike Bloomberg takes actually votes away kind of from Mayor Pete and, uh, and Elizabeth Warren. Actually, that kind of group I think that he hits. Um... And it's interesting for Bloomberg because, you know, he's riding his whole, you know, I can take on Trump stuff and everything as well. And, you know, I, I can get it done. I'm a, I'm a businessman. I'm a, I'm a man's man just like him. I can go at him, right? And, you know, he's also, you know, said that regardless who, whoever wins the nomination, it's not him. He's going to back them financially and support them to beat Trump. But, see, many like Bloomberg, I think, is very, it's telling of the Democratic Party as a whole, right? Because the DNC is almost selling out, right? So... You know, for years, it's always been like this. The Republicans are these, and conservatives are these rich, you know, elitist people and stuff and everything that, you know, the billionaires control there, you know, I mean, all that. But if you look at, you know, what's going on here for Mike Bloomberg, you know, essentially one of the reasons very evident him almost buying the DNC, um, it's the fact that DNC was, was going ahead and changed the rules for the debate stage. Um, so if you don't know or not to get on the debate stage, actually, it's pretty subjective, honestly. I don't like it at all, those rules, because I think it denies certain people the opportunity to uh, who are good candidates to be there. Because it's a combination of where you are polling, how much money you raise, contributions, um, and various other aspects that come together. So, for example, Mayor Mike, uh, Mike Bloomberg, he was never going to, he never, he never met all the thresholds for these debates. Because for one, one criteria is like the amount of donors and stuff and like that you raise and everything. And so for Mike Bloomberg, because he's self-funded and like a billionaire, he was never going to meet that threshold because he's never going to have all those donors and stuff like that. It's almost kind of similar to Trump to the degree, honestly, when Trump ran as well. Trump was self-funded for so much stuff as well. Um, 
And so the fact that Mike Bloomberg, basically, you can see he's kind of holding DNC hostage because he basically said, look, I'm going to fund y'all, get all this money to y'all and everything, but you're going to change the rules for me so I can get some appeal and get my, my face out there. Because it's like, yo, you have people, you know, who throughout this process who didn't make the debate stage sometime from Andrew Yang to Kamala Harris, um, to Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, you know what I'm saying? These people like who are just screen just as qualified to talk about these issues and topics and stuff, but because of some subjective, you know, and Cory Booker as well, because of some subjective and debate, you know, re requirements and everything, um, you know, I think that was, um, it's not fair, to be honest. And just kind of show the DNC selling out against these hands of billionaires and stuff. And we talk about, you know, fighting for the middle class and these people and everything, but here you are, a billionaire buying, literally have y'all changing the rules just for him. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy. And especially because it's just late in the game. It's like really apparent, like, okay, yeah, clearly we see what's going on here. So, I, I think the Democratic Party is a instant conundrum. And real quick, for many Mike, look, Mike Bloomberg to me is actually no different from Trump. He's a billionaire elitist. Um, he has a lot of anti-black history, especially the stop and frisk, which profiled and put a lot of innocent black people in jail. And... I'm not going to, I know he's putting all the commercials out here with Obama stuff and everything. Basically, it's like a slap to the face to me. He's kind of showing like black people, hey, Obama likes me, so <laughs> I'm cool, guys. Let me vote for me too. It's like, no, bro. I'm going to keep it a stack. <laughs> Just because you got Obese out there, Obese had a lot of black, anti black policies and stuff as well. And to be honest, if Obama was white, you would call him a racist due to these policies and stuff. But that's a conversation for another podcast. But more or less, it's like very interesting how these, these, these people vote. But. And they, Mike Bloomberg, though, I think he can appeal, though, to moderates, independents, and maybe some Republicans. And so he's going to stay in the race here. Um, you know, again, I don't like how the Democratic Party has been all in on this kind of just, we have to beat Trump, right? Because not ain't about putting the best candidate out there with the best policies and the best way to tackle issues. Is now a one-on-one -on -one battle to, well, who can beat Trump? And honestly, I think it's a very dangerous rhetoric because it's like, all right, a lot of people on this whole kind of addition by subtraction, right? So it's like, we have to get Trump out of office by any means necessary. And it's like, okay, all right, I hear y'all. But it's like, once he's, if he's gone, the same issues and problems that plagued our country before Trump are still going to be there afterwards. So it's like, then what? Because now that person you may put in office may not actually have the best actual plans and policies and stuff in place that can move our country forward. It's, it's not about, you know, I, I personally think we need someone who can unite the country. But it's like, all right, you do all that stuff, you get someone out of order, but then it's just a whole division and divide in our country. And then it's even worse. And at what, at what sake? You know? So I think the Democratic Party is a very instant conundrum. And. We're going to see how they rebound. So this is why I feel like right now, honestly, I feel like this is why Trump's going to get reelected. And it's because of the Democratic Party's, the conundrum they're in. So basically, I feel like the, before this whole, all this started, right, whole election season, I feel like the Democratic Party would Joe Biden to be their person. They probably felt like he was the best person to beat Trump and he would carry on tr traditional Democratic um, you know, party policy and stuff and everything and move forward. But throughout this process, through a combination of various things from Joe Biden himself and 
stuff coming about Hunter Biden and all that Trump impeachment stuff and everything. That's a very interesting thing as well. And the Trump impeachment stuff, I think Joe Biden took an L in the whole process as well because a lot of stuff came out about kind of his integrity and everything. But so Joe Biden, and also you see just when Iowa and New Hampshire, he's following the polls. Okay. So then it's come down to who's the options. You got Bernie, Mayor Pete, Elizabeth Warren. I think Elizabeth Warren personally actually made the best candidate in terms of policies and stuff and everything, but she's not polling as well right now. So, and also, because we made this, again, this whole who can beat Trump as a criteria about who our candidate's going to be, right, or who their candidate's going to be, I don't think Elizabeth Warren matched up well versus Trump. Um, I just don't. I, I, I just I don't think that's the matchup. I think Trump wins that match. I personally think Trump will be all the, all the opponents. And it's not going to Trump support. I just think versus all these candidates, Trump will beat them in one-on-one. But if you're trying to find the best matchup, though, I don't think it was more matchup over Trump. So then that kind of folds her back. Mayor Pete? Mayor Pete's like a moderate. Um, I don't think Mayor Pete has enough experience. He's a mayor. Like, trying to be president. I'm sorry. At least Trump was a billionaire and ran a corporation. Maybe he's a mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Look, I'm sorry. I don't think he's ready for his job. At least be a senator or hold some other public office or something like that. And to be honest, with Mayor Pete, the thing that bothers me is, look, you know, he has the most billionaire donors and stuff like that. You ever wonder, what is this mayor telling these billionaires that they're going to donate to him and everything? It's a very interesting concept, very intriguing. And I think because Mayor Pete has nothing to stand on, because he's no political backing, he has no... You know, Senate or House of Representative experience or anything like that. I think he get pushed around and just used by these billionaires to push any plan agenda they want. He has no backbone, and I don't think. I don't think he really stands up well. He's a decent versus Trump, but I'll be honest. Things don't get Mayor Pete. He goes to the South, and I'm very intrigued about this. With him being an openly um, gay man, sometimes people in the South, especially you know that Bible Belt, very religious people and everything, um, they're not as progressive. To certain views. And at some point, I I do think that may come back to bite him in some regard. It may be unfortunate that that's the case, but that's kind of reality that we kind of live in. So I do think we got to keep that part in mind. And then the Bernie. I personally think Bernie is the best chance to be Trump, to be honest. I think Bernie has a unique persona where he can get the Democrats, liberals. But I think he can also touch to independents, some moderates, and some Republicans. And so I think he's an interesting, interesting play. Because remember now, 6 million people voted for Obama in 2012, voted for Trump in 2016. So there's, you got to find a way to get those 6 million voters back, somehow, some way. I think Bernie's the best actual candidate versus Trump. But see, here's the problem. Bernie's a socialist. And you see, if Bernie becomes a candidate, the Democratic Party becomes a Democratic Socialist Party. And that changes their trajectory forever. And it's just something I don't see going to happen. If you look at it, 2016, and Bernie got screwed in the DNC primary season, which he did, which there was a concerted effort amongst DNC leadership, including former chair Debbie Walshman Schultz came out. The people were actively colluding against Bernie to not have him be the candidate. Okay, The fact that she had to resign from her post after this came out and everything. I know a lot of people in the Democratic Party oftentimes will talk about and say, well, you know, because Bernie's independent, running on the Democratic um, platform. He's not a true Democrat. Therefore, we can pick and choose who we want to represent us. Okay, so basically you can cheat and screw people you don't want to agree with. Okay, yeah, I guess you got that right. But the result was Trump. 
I personally do think that Bernie would have done better than Hillary versus Trump. So, to me, that's what always kind of it really pushed me away from the Democratic Party, to be honest, because it was like, y'all pick and choose what you want to cheat, but then you want to sit around and cry about Russia, 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 and all this stuff and everything, but you like, you're just rigging your own elections in the first place. Anyways, it's like hypocrisy all to me. But more or less, with that being said, Bernie, you're going to get screwed again by the Democratic Party. They're not going to let you be the nominee. But see, that's the problem because I think Bernie's the one who actually can maybe beat Trump, to be honest. And I think one of the most apparent things why Bernie will never be a candidate, will never have a socialist president, and Trump's state and union address, um, he had one of the guests, was opposition leader in, uh, in Venezuela. Uh, if you don't know, Venezuela is a socialist country. And so this opposition leader is anti-socialist. And that got a standing ovation from bipartisan support, both Republicans and Democrats. Nancy Pelosi, all Democrats, all stood up and gave this guy a rounding applause. So I think it was a very big message right there that showed that we are anti-socialist. Republicans and Democrats are both in on that note. So I really honestly believe that the Democratic Party <laughs> would probably rather have former years of Trump fight him on every issue the whole way, tooth and nail, make sure he gets nothing done, than have... Bernie Sanders will have a socialist be the president and represent the Democratic Party and change their trajectory forever. Crazy conundrum. So with that being said, because I think somehow somebody's going to screw Bernie, you're going to screw away the part of the best candidate be Trump. I know many Mike Bloomberg's in this thing. I, I don't know. We've been seeing he rises up and stuff. I don't really believe he was a legit candidate and stuff. I think he's using this all as, you know, kind of just his own personal gain. And so... I do just wonder for Democratic Party about how they're going to approach this. And real quick, I just want to talk about spending money. Tom Strayer spent like $15 million of his own money to get like 1% of the vote in Iowa and 3% of the vote in New Hampshire. Talk about a waste of money. I'm sorry. I'm just going to call it what it is. All these TV commercials, all that stuff. And you're not even, you barely pull it. And you definitely ain't getting on no one's. Ain't no one put it under, in your, under, under your cabinet. You ain't got no cabinet position. So, to me, it seems like he's going to use all his tax write-offs at the end of the day and get that money back in some capacity. But all I'm saying is, talk about a waste of money. <laughs> all right, so one thing I think is very important for as Democrats approach this election again is they had to learn from 2016. Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes is this whole Trump won because of Russia influence. And that's the sole and only way that Trump won. That's not true. What the Mueller report concluded was that, yes, the Russians did influence our election. But we need to understand is that when that said, it influenced on both sides, Democrats and Republicans. Okay, there was, there was a lot of propaganda from both sides. For example, I remember the Russians on Facebook and stuff like that. They made a lot of Black Lives Matters uh, posts and these different injustice and oppression posts and stuff like that. Right. They were posting out there and everything. Um, getting sympathy and kind of rolling people up against against Trump and the whole MAGA and everything like that to get people to sympathize and vote Democrat and vote for people that who actually sympathize with these people. So like there was like influence on both sides. So I think it's very important when we say that because when we just say the, the Russians is the reason they won. It, it negates a lot of campaign flaws that happened in that 2016 election. If you don't recognize those things, they're going to happen again. Prime example. So Hillary Clinton wasn't like Although on paper she was a very qualified person, but she had a lot of holes and flaws. Not very likable. Had a lot of things and skeletons in her closet. Okay? And, for example, like one thing I think was a very 
big campaign flaw, which DNC kind of just sweeps on the table, Hillary Clinton didn't step foot in Wisconsin at all. Okay, Wisconsin has always been a pivotal swing state, especially now. And have you know it or not, in 2012, Obama won Wisconsin. In 2016, Trump won Wisconsin. Trump spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. So I asked the question, was the Russians that forced Hillary Clinton not just campaign and step foot once in Wisconsin? Or how about the fact when she went down to West Virginia? Place with coal miners and these construction workers and stuff and everything, right? And the very first thing she says in her speech is, your jobs are not coming back. Now, regardless of telling the truth or not, you can't say that. Because it's going to turn people off. Trump came to town talking about, yeah, I'm going to get y'all jobs back. Yeah, I'm going to work for y'all. I'm going to fight for y'all. Now, these are some campaign flaws that we got to talk about here. It's not the Russians that made her have a horrible actual campaign strategy. Okay, these are pivotal things. Again, remember, 6 million people voted for Barack Obama in 2012, voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Which is also very, I think we need to understand for Democrats, how y'all approach Trump supporters is very important. Because most people see Trump supporters and talk about them in a very demeaning and talking down way. You know what I mean? Call them deplorables. You know what I mean? Call them rednecks. Call them all this X, Y, and Z, right? And it may be the case. But see, what you're doing is you're only putting fuel to the fire. That only creates more separation, division, is in-group, out-group. And so while you're taking this ethical, moral stand and talking down to these people and everything, right? Because they have different opinions and views as you. All you're doing is only making a person more relevant. Um, again, Trump, when he ran, remember, in 2016, he had over like, I, I think it was something crazy, like $10 million worth of free advertisements just in terms of TV coverage of people constantly talking about him, CNN, MSNBC, BBC News, it didn't matter what it was, every single thing was always talking about Trump. Trump, 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 Trump. He didn't have to even put money out there to campaign because he's always staying relevant. Can we keep talking about it? You're obsessed with him. You made him relevant. And so anti-Trump is going to get Trump elected again. Because I think you want to approach this. And especially if I'm a Democratic person, party this, this time, I'm approaching Trump supporters with respect and talk to them like regular people and trying to understand them. Okay, you're trying to win them over in some capacity because talking down to them and stuff and everything, I'm telling y'all, it's the silent majority. I mean, it really is. It's really going to just put more fuel to that fire, have that grow even more. So I think it's very important that how the Democrats combat that and some of these flaws and stuff. Again, within the black community, yo, I know Hillary Clinton got the, the, the black vote last time. That's partly because she was a Clinton. I think she really just rolled that whole Clinton wave, you know what I'm saying, that they always had. But no candidate has that, I think, that appeal to black voters this year. Joe Biden, I'll be honest, I know he's almost VP and everything, but I don't really think he's going to have that runaway appeal. So they got to work for those votes and stuff. And not saying blacks are going to vote Republican, but look, Trump has been talking about a lot of stuff. And actually, in his real-life budget, he has things that's going to benefit the black community, not just talking about, but actual things that have approved and actually going to happen. So I do think it's important we keep those keep that in mind. So I'm saying Democratic Party, man, look, it's not looking real bright. There's no momentum. From the impeachment trial to the Iowa stuff to now New Hampshire is not really, you know, too much momentum. And I think you had to learn from 2016. Learn from the flaws. Also, big thing is polling. For example, there was a lot of mispolling that happened in 2016, which led to its results. Prime example, here in my home state of Pennsylvania, okay? Pennsylvania, if you break it down to a T, okay? So you look at from Pittsburgh to Philly, right? West and East Coast, right? 
if you draw a line, horizontal line going between them, right? In the middle, draw a line down. In those adjacent spots, it kind of makes a T. That's a lot of rural area within Pennsylvania. A lot of people don't know, Pennsylvania is a really big, it's a really big place, low-key. Fifth largest state, really big. And you have a lot of rural, rural people there, okay? A lot of these, you know, blue-collar people. And for example, when I talk about Miss Polling, so people were serving in Pennsylvania in 2016, right? Democratic Party and Open People for All. They were doing it all via, like, phone. So in places like Pittsburgh, Philly, Central PA, that might be cool because people are, you know, answering the phone stuff and everything, right? But those rural areas and everything like that, it is like phone and email. That's how they did it. Those rural country areas and everything, those people aren't talking on the phone. They're not checking the emails and stuff like that. So I'm saying, like, they're not responding back in terms of, like, that's people got to go door to door and talk to them and get a real life results out of them and get a real life attitude. But people weren't doing that. And so it was a big mispolling because people just got only a couple people from those areas and everything, and it seemed like they were going to vote left. But that wasn't the case at all, realistically speaking. And so I think that's another fact as well. There was a lot of mispolling done that led to, because again, it seemed like Hillary's going to run away with this thing, right? Mispolling. That's why a lot of people think, oh, the Russians. No, there's actually a lot of human, human flaw that actually went into this. And I think we need to put that perspective in the scope. So again, there's a lot of things in 2016 that happened. And again, I think we cheapen ourselves by just screaming, Russia, 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 and not actually addressing the flaws that led to this happening. I get it. Hillary Clinton had more popular votes. But to be honest, it's very subjective because she won places highly pop, like highly uh, populated, like California. There's just a lot of people in California. She did pretty well in Texas. Did pretty darn well in Florida. You know what I'm saying? Like, So a lot of these big, high dense places and areas she got these votes stuff like new york she won new york like you know what i'm saying like again a lot of places were a lot of people so that's why i think that was a little subjective to be honest her margin of victory in the popular vote but trump ran away with an electoral college where it really came down and mattered so that's the thing people need to understand as well is that the popular vote is not a true life estimation of how things really are a lot of 22,000 election of al gore and george bush so i think we need to Really realize that looking back at 2016 and what went wrong and try to make sure these things don't happen again is very important. And until those things happen, which I'm not sure they're going to happen, it's, it's looking like a Trump 2020 re-election. It's not endorsement. That's just kind of reality and what I feel like it's gonna, definitely going to happen. So DNC got some work to do. So we'll see how that plays out for sure. All right. So overall, I think the Democratic Party has a lot of work to do. I think that they are don't have a lot of momentum right now. And I think that they need to make some real strides and changes. I think they need to figure out this conundrum of who they're going to represent them, whether or not they're okay with a, a socialist president, or is, is Trump more important than that? So those are big questions need to be asked. It's a long road ahead. From now to November, a lot can happen. It's so early. It's only February. Again, after Super Tuesday and these other primaries start kicking off, we'll get a better... Uh, kind of realistic scope of things a little bit. So definitely fasten in your seatbelt because it's going to be a large, long, and bumpy road. That's for sure. Um, again, in my opinion, I think Trump's, it's, it's lined up for Trump to get reelected. I think people need to brace for that. Um, so that's the reality of things as well. But again, who knows? A lot can happen from now until then. So more like I think a lot of people just kind of be aware and also, I just want to say one thing as well, real quick, is like a lot of people I know are very partisan in terms of what they follow for news sources and everything as well. So people are 
Democrats or liberal, probably watch CNN, MSNBC, and these different networks and stuff. People conservative can watch like Fox News, right, or like Breitbart or something. But you know, it, it. I think it's very interesting. People will talk about being so knowledgeable and stuff. And I know so much going on in politics, right? But a lot of it is emotionally driven. I know a lot of people who, especially people like Democrats or liberals, they won't even watch anything related to Trump or anything that's going on, right? It's just negative, negative, negative. Or they watch MSNBC. They don't ever see any other side. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't check on stuff online. I know people on Republicans and conservatives, right, who are just so stuck on this. Oh well, you know, the, the liberals and the left and you know, there's a witch hunt. Nah. And it's like, yo, it can't always be that simple and stuff as well. There's two sides to every coin. So I think people need to be more bipartisan and looking at both sides of politics. Because I, I truly do believe that people individually, I, I don't think people should always be assigned to one party. I think especially for the black community while I'm here, I think the black community needs to move as free agents. I know we primarily vote Democrat and everything, but um, I'll never call a Democrat plantation. But I do think Democrats have been just as racist and oppressive towards black people as the Republican Party has been, right? So I'm never going to say, leave the Dem plantation, the Dems are racist. That's a ridiculous statement. Could that try to negate that Republicans' negative impact on black community just as well? But I do think in some regards, right, there may be some Democrat liberal policies that benefit black people. And in the same regard, there might be some Republicans' conservative policies that benefit black people. So I think we kind of look at, you know, to yourself as like, where's the highest bidder? Who wants our vote? What are we actually going to do for us? Give us some policy, give us some tangible stuff. That's the stuff that gets done, right? So I think it's very important that we understand that power and influence and not be sucked into a groupthink of always having to vote for one people. You feel me? So that's all I'm saying with that, okay? Keep an open mind to politics and everything. Don't be emotionally driven because when you have an emotional uh, drive, you can't you can't talk. You can't have civil discourse. And that's one thing that's lacking in our country is civil discourse. We get too emotional. We get too much stuff into it. Too much semantics, both sides. So let's get back to basics, and that's our country, United States of America, and that's uniting us and doing what's best for our country. Nation first. You feel me? So with that being said, hope you enjoyed today's episode. I think it was very dope. Really, we covered a lot. It's on the Democratic Party. You know what I'm saying, got some work to do, but we'll see what will happen. As usual, make sure y'all stay tuned, you stay hip, you stay connected.